path to the answer. One yeah. is that um, under a previous USAID-funded project, CI with the government communities developed what we call the co-management model. Um, and that incorporates traditional law and knowledge and processes and government law and knowledge and processes and community needs, what the community can do and can't do, what they're capable of doing, um, and a little bit in there is support from CI or whomever. It doesn't have to be CI, but whomever can provide sort of science and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, so that is adopted by the government um, and is a guiding document under the government for anyone who's working with communities on marine protected areas. So CI being the only fully conservation focused, I guess, non-profit organisation in the country yep. for a very long time. Uh -huh. um, uh, like excluding that, um, you know, Blue Ventures does training and things for externals, but just focused on the country. Um, we are the only people who are implementing. So it always looks like this is CIs. It's not actually CIs, it was actually the government and we implement it because, only because we're the only ones here doing it. Um, so there's only one other MPA that has been developed in the country and it, it was one of the first ones. So when we first did the ones down in the park and developed this co-management mod, co model from that three-year process. At the same time, there was an Indonesian organisation called LMMA that were working with another community group and they have established an MPA. It's not done on the same co-management model and I don't know if they've got the same, um, uh, same, can you say, connection with the government legislation. Right. I know it's not listed as one of the marine protected areas in the government. I don't know if it's got Karabandu. Right. Um, assigned to it or anything else, but that's the only other one that's been made. So all the ones we make, we follow that process because that's the government is adopted. Okay. Okay. Uh, just a quick follow up, and it doesn't require a huge response, but do other are other communities, even though they're not formally inside of an MPA, do they care about conservation in Timor Leste, or is that not really on the top of their minds? I mean, no, I, the Timorese are really strongly connected to the environment. Um, you know, they're, they're animists at heart, and okay. it was only during the Indonesian occupation that the majority of them had to nominate a church or a religion. Oh, so right. the majority nominated Catholic. There were certainly Timorese before that who were Catholic, right. um, but the majority are animists. And the, when you see the religious ceremonies, they're still very... They include very strongly animist as well as Catholic ceremonies in them. Okay, so they care care very much about the the environment, especially the ones that are right outside their door. Yeah, and like families, you know, we have staff members that are responsible for cultural land. It's like a different layer of land over everything else. They're responsible for cultural land, and that that family will carry out a tarabandu over the cultural land that they're responsible for to protect it. Okay. People might carry out the tarabandu on their particular a particular tree or area to protect it. Right. So um, CI so nobody else can go in and take okay. anything or harm that tree. 
So then as, a, as an organization, CI comes in and gives that uh, more structure, more um, science, uh, so what we, clearer what communication. What we do is actually is pick up that traditional law, if yeah. you will, uh-huh. and ceremony and, and link it to the government legislation because the government supports traditional law, but there's no direct link. So they might say... You know, uh, we support Tarabangu and, and, you know, we encourage it and we'll support any funding to do it. And we want everyone to learn traditional law again because it was lost during the occupation. But there's nowhere, um, they haven't actually provided um, any means by which the community can turn around and say, that's under Tarabangu, therefore it is now part of Timorese law. <laughs> so what we do under that co-management model is take the information and formally submit it to the government, the area that the community put under Tarabandu, and we formally submit it with all the the community's rules and regulations, submit that to the Minister to sign off, becomes a ministerial diploma, and then that's attached to the decree law for protected areas. Okay. That makes good sense. So that's kind of our role, like, you know, the training and leading them through the process, but the community pretty much do everything else. That's a specific thing that we do. But any NGO could do that. You just know, like, we've just had to develop that as we go along with the government. Right. There's no process. Yeah. Okay. So you've formalized traditional uh, law? Basically, yeah. Okay. I know Maya had a a couple of questions. She's writing notes to me. Um, Trudy, I just wanted to uh, to hear more about co-management. I know there are definitions of co-management, but what is co-management in Timor-Leste a reality, let's say? It's a, so it's collaborative management between the community and government. That's what co-management means here. Um, the constitution has a requirement for co-management, various laws have a requirement for co-management. But there wasn't a, a means or model which described what that might look like. Mm-hmm. So that co-management model we developed for communities working on marine resources, we've now been requested by the government to make that a generic document. Mm-hmm. So it would be working with communities on any natural resource, whether it be in an agriculture sense or is it in forestry sense or is it marine or freshwater or... Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so it's collaborative. So the government, what it, in reality, if we're talking MPAs, yeah. what it means on the, the ground is that the government community are part of the process of identifying the area they want to protect. Ultimately, it's up to the community, but the government representatives are there and go through it. They map it all out and everything. The community are responsible for doing the monitoring of the resources mm-hmm. in the country external bodies are not and the government is not it's the community but the community pass that information that data to the government mm-hmm. and then the government do the analysis and feed that back to the community and help them adjust any any of the management plans mm, that's very interesting uh do communities get i don't know uh, paid or any equipment or trained to do the monitoring in specific way or it's really left to their traditional um, knowledge and tradition? Part of the, mm-hmm. no, part of the co-management process that we implement 
um, is teaching them and training them how to do the monitoring, and that's where we mm -hmm. do the seagrass monitoring. Okay. Before we didn't in, we didn't do seagrass monitoring, but since this project, we've now introduced that. So they're doing corals, they're doing reef fish. So uh, the reef fish, the, the list they use is the reef check list and then they add on to that the significant species for that particular community. Mm -hmm. um, and then the corals um, and then now the seagrass is on there. And they're also now starting to keep, we're training them in turtles and obviously for those communities with dugong, they start writing down when, uh, when they have dugong sightings as well. Mm looks really like a lot of work um, and well they only, they only monitor the, the reef of corals and the MPA they only do that once every six months ah okay and do, yeah. do they know like do they have to use any technologies for this or they just dive like is there any software sorry for this question but maybe there is something that they use a tool in addition to it like software or IT like telephone mobile telephone or any application or they just use the paper and they match inside, yeah, according to what they have been trained on. Yeah, they use waterproof paper that we provide, the like waterproof forms mm -hmm. that are all set out and they just have to write in numbers or tick the box. Okay. So those papers are handed over and um, technology, um, not not really. They uh, will use a manta tow behind one of the local fishing boats. Um, the government's got a couple of man wooden manta toes that they will go down and help the community do their monitoring. Um, but there's no technology in the recording of the information. And this is definitely something that we want to work on and we've discussed it within CI because it's not just Timor-Leste, it's kind of around the world mm -hmm. that it's needed. Um, world Fish here have developed uh, some software that we've uploaded onto the community's tablet. Um, each community we work with has a like a data tablet mm -hmm. and they've uploaded that so when they're doing the fish counts each week for fishermen mm -hmm. from the fisheries, not the MPA, um, you know that's automatically uploaded and we would like something like that for the MPA so it's automatically going to a database but we're just not there yet. Okay. What's a manta talk? Sorry, yeah, I'm Bulgarian. I don't know. Uh, it, oh, basically, it's, it's like a big flat board um, on a rope that the boat pulls you along and very, very slowly and carefully. Um, and you can put your head in the water and you can count certain corals as you're going past. Ah, okay. Uh. So you have to go in a straight line, you know, for a certain distance. Okay, right. Mm -hmm. Okay, and... Um, okay, so that was about co-management and how it is done. Can I ask you, before uh, okay, Maya sorry. continues, how long has this been going on and have you seen any results? Um, the co we see I started in 2009 working with the communities and the co-management model was published 2012. I think it was published and then adopted formally last year, even though we were all using it, it was formally adopted last year by the government. Um, the, up until we started working on Aturo Island, we only had three communities that had MPAs that they were doing regular monitoring on. So we don't have a lot of data sets, um, and actually 
what we've been discussing is getting an intern in to take those original fish data sets before the community was, um, you know, yeah. did the MPA. Um, and then looking at what they've got now out of the monitoring. Right. But when you're doing it every six months, you know, it takes a while to build up any kind of trend. Sure. Do you have any anecdotal evidence from the communities? Like, wow, this is the best thing since sliced bread, or? Oh, yeah, yeah. So, heaps of it. Heaps. Like, heaps and heaps of it. And we want now science to back it up and an actual published document to back it up because they, they all just tell you all the time. Um, like, the Loy community uh, over on the island, as an example, the dive business, one of the dive guys, um, Swiss guy or something, he, he went, he hadn't been, he was one of the last ones to dive with clients before they closed out the Beloy Reef. And then it was about a month after it had been closed out that he went diving and he said he couldn't believe the amount of large fish that were already there. Wow. Like they just moved on because they weren't being pressured or chased or fished out. And the other communities um, down in the park, like there's... Their MPAs are three years old or more. Um, and they'll tell you that they just have to go out the front now and catch garfish. Whereas before they used to have to go like five kilometres down the coast. And they spend half their time going out fishing. You know, and there's the fish that they're catching are bigger. There's more of them and there's more species out there now. And that's just the flow over from their MPA. Yeah. And their MPA is pretty cool. Like, it's completely closed. You need permission even to go for a snorkel on that one. You can't even pick a shell up off the beach. But and when our guys went diving to, you know, check the ropes on the marker buoys and things, the turtles, the fish, no idea what a diver is. Just thinks that you're another sea creature and, you know, you can. They, they've got video of them reaching out, touching the turtle who's just sitting on the ground and it looks at them over their shoulder. Awesome. It's, you know, stunning stuff, really stunning. So, yeah, lots and lots of anecdotal. Okay, good. Maya. <laughs> yeah, okay, so the other question that I have, um, I have about actually coal management, is there any delineation of these um, specific areas that the communities manage? I mean, how do they know, <laughs> maybe it's not a very clever question, but how do they know how big their area is? So what we do is um, the communities, the communities always approach us. We don't go into a community and say, we've done a survey and we think you should protect this. That's not mm -hmm. how it works. So the communities have to approach us. And part of that is that they already know their fishing grounds and they already know where fish are breeding, you know, and where things are happening in that marine environment mm -hmm. because they're generations of fishing people and mm -hmm. they, they know the place inside now. So they identify where they want to close off Mm -hmm. And then we go out and mark it with a GPS on one of their boats. And then we compare it to our survey work. Okay. And um, so, for example, Vila over on the island, um, it had, they tried to establish an MPA there before. We asked our science crew to survey that area while they were doing a survey a couple of years ago. 
and they identified these like 6,000 year old corals or something that hadn't been found before or noted before just outside the Vila MPA. So when we went back and worked with them, the government asked us to go and work with the community and get the MPA functioning again. And when we did and we said, this is really good, but would you mind adjusting the boundary to include that coral? They said, oh, no, we didn't know it was there. Of course we will. So they just pushed the boundary out to where we proposed it should go. Mm-hmm. But yeah. otherwise, it's, it's all GPSed. Uh, CI develops the maps for them um, and shares them, and then they write all the rules and regulations, submit them to their own SUCO, which is... Um, you kind of have uh, government, national government, then you've got municipalities, so a SUCO, then you have a sub-district, and then you have SUCO. So the SUCO is, I guess, the smallest government-recognised mm-hmm. boundary, if you get me. And if I go out into that protected area and I drop my fishing line in, am I going to get a villager that comes out there and uh, tries to sink my boat? <laughs> Okay. And, and, and you'll be fined quite heavily. The first time, because you're, you know, probably just a big goofy malai that doesn't know what's going on, yeah. they might not scream at you a bit and they might give you a warning. But at this stage over in, um, you know, Turo, they've been quite vigilant and they've fined people. There was one guy who was arrested and spent the night in jail. Oh. Um, yeah. So the community is quite serious. I mean, it's got Tarabandu on it, so if they want to, they could charge you 10 buffaloes. <laughs> that's a lot. Trust me, that's a lot. I'm Depending sure. Depending on where you are in the country, yeah. we're talking more than a house. Like 10 buffaloes, you mean really buffaloes, like oxen? No, I, mean, I mean real buffaloes. Oh, wow, okay. So, <laughs> you might, in one area, you might pay $5,000 for one buffalo. So oh my you've gosh. got 10 of them, that's a lot of money. That is a lot of money. So tell me, just to backtrack, a terabandu, it sounds to me like it's um, something to do with land. That would be the terra part. And the bandu is what? Like a regulation? So it's terra, T-A-R-A. Not terra, T-A-R-A. Oh, okay. Tara yeah, okay. T-A-R-A, right. Yeah. Bandu, B-A-N-D-U. Yeah. And it means, it means um, I can't remember which word is which, but make, basically it means to, to place a marker to prohibit. Okay. If you translate that roughly. It's, um, it's Tetan, Tarabandu. Okay. The national language, yeah. Right. <laughs> You're getting better. And, and this traditional ceremony, can, can you describe it? What is it? Uh, seriously, it depends on where you are in the country. So um, down in, I haven't been to one down in the park, but they're very, very traditional and it's, it's big. You know, there's lots of slaughtering of animals and dancing and singing and all sorts of things goes on forever. Um, over on the islands, they uh, have lost a lot of their traditional ways. Um, they still implement and respect Tarabandu, but it's more associated with the church. Mm-hmm. So they would sort of make prayers and they would read out what the rules and regulations are and then there'd be more prayers and then we, we celebrate, we all have lunch together. 
Okay. Um, Vila was a little different because they're still quite traditional and it was really amazing the amount of young people who were there watching these very ancient people carry out the dancing and the ceremony and the singing and everything. It was really lovely, actually. They were videoing it on their phones and they'd never seen anything like it before. And um, so Vila's still trying very much to hang on to it. Um, other parts of the country, it just really depends on um, how much knowledge they lost during the occupation. Mm-hmm. Okay. But it's big. In a traditional sense, it's big. It's an all-day kind of all-night thing. Mm-hmm. Huh. And the subject of it is the designation of a particular area for protection. Yeah, so they, they, they say Tarabandu, and like I said, the literal translation means to place, place a marker to show that that's now prohibited. That's a prohibited place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you can't do anything in there. Um, but for the purposes of the MPAs or the communities closing out a forest area or something, they will actually, the community, this is probably the important thing, the community identifies that it wants to do Tarabandu. The chief can't do it, the government can't do it, CI can't do it. It has to be all of the community wanting it and asking the chief to do it. Otherwise it never happens. So what's the role of, of, of women, if any, in that Tarabandu decision? Oh, everybody. Uh, everybody is involved in it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if you're a child, an old man, a young man, or an old woman. It doesn't. Everybody has to agree. And sometimes it can take three days to make the decision or more. Mm-hmm. It's so, like with an MBA, there'll be people going, no, we're losing our fishing ground. We're not going to close it out. You know, and others will go, no, it's like this. So they have to go through that whole process. We, I've not been a part of it. The team's not a part of it because it's got nothing to do with us. Mm-hmm. Um, they kind of do that bit on their own. But we are part of, when they're talking, when they actually have the whole ceremony and the marker and, you know, and the coral and the shells and all of the things are placed at the marker during the ceremony to make it very strong, then they're talking about, the rules and regulations associated with it. So it may, they may have a tarabandu that might be to close an area out only for three years. Right. And other ones will be closed out permanently, and others might say this time of the year, every year, it's under tarabandu. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, I mean, I, I'm trying to imagine how this consultation process looks like. For example, in the Solomon Islands, um, communities have their groups of, you know, they are grouped into based on different characteristics. Like, for example, they have women's group, fishers group, the church, the school, and yeah, something like that. And a representative of each group actually um, meets with the other representatives and they, they represent the interest of their group members. Is this something, is it similar in Timor-Leste uh, for the Tara, Tarabandu? No, the Tarabandu, it's everybody. everybody. Everyone goes. Yeah. It's a huge meeting. But the communities, we're not talking about communities that have several thousand people. It's a small mm-hmm. island and the communities are small. Mm-hmm. And you might get um, one suko might be made up of 10 villages. 
So the meeting might be held in one village, so maybe three villages come and then, um, you know, a half or representatives from the other villages come. Okay. But everybody has to be there and have their say. And decisions won't be made until everyone's there. So if there's somebody who can't come, like a, yeah, then, then they'll discuss it, but they won't make a decision mm -hmm. until everybody's present. Yeah. Um, okay, I because we are talking about communities, do you can you give any estimate how many coastal communities are there? Just an estimate, or do you do you have this information? In Timor Leste. Yes, in Timor Leste. Or uh, just probably get it. No idea off the yeah. top of my head. Yeah. Okay. Don't worry. Don't. We don't need it. I was just curious to know, you know, how many communities we are talking about. And is the interest, you say that from place to place, their interest and um, the way to approach Tarabandu is, is different. And I, I was just trying to imagine how many different contexts you may have, you know, in your work. <laughs> okay. So the concept and the understanding of Tarabandu is the same by everyone. Mm. It's the ceremony that's attached to it that yeah. is different according okay. to that community. Yeah, but the concept and the understanding and the way Tarabandu is implemented, it's the same everywhere. Okay, okay. So this structure that you work within, is that the future of conservation, marine conservation in Timor-Leste? Is that a management model? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, because now that the government has adopted it and they want to adopt it that it's across the country, not just marine, then, yeah, because it... it it ensures that the, it's, the whole thing is created, developed and owned by the community. Mm -hmm. It ensures that it's all recognised from a legal perspective. It, it respects and ensures that all of the traditional side of it is incorporated. And it, it, it ensures that the government is engaged. Right. So it, it ticks all the boxes. It's, probably one of the, like, I, I can't take any credit, I wasn't part of it, um, and having worked, done a lot of this around the world, I think it's one of the best models I've come across. And do you see it applying to other, you know, places outside of Timor-Leste, or, or is it quite local, localized? I think it's, you, you'd be able to use different aspects, but it really depends on the cultural context, because other people's traditional law, see, in Timor-Leste, you don't, they don't own the water. If you go to, where should we go to, uh, Indonesia? Yeah. Or somewhere? Okay. Or the island? They might be able to say, from that point over there, that's our fishing ground from there over to that island over there. Right. And that belongs to us. 